0: I told Jerry a little bit earlier how much I appreciate that song. It tells Peter's story. It, he knew what he had done. He knew he had messed up. And because he knew he had messed up, he knew that there was no hope. And he locks himself up, closes himself up where no one can get to him. And, and he, he just kind of wallows in his pain and his sorrow. But then, then something changes. He hears a word from the women who've already been to the tomb. And when he hears that word, the hope begins to to come back. And then when he gets to really see Jesus, he's got a whole new life. Well, I, I I want us to see if we can find that kind of joy this morning. We're going to look at the joy of Easter in two words. If you have your copy of scripture with you, I want to invite your attention to Mark chapter 16. If you use the Bible app, you can find us in the Bible app. If you go to the menu, click on events, our church will pop up and this worship service will pop up there inside the Bible app and you can follow the texts along that way. But we're going to look in Mark chapter 16 as we consider together the joy of Easter in two words. And you're familiar with this text. This is one of the um, this is one of the gospel presentations about what happened at the tomb. So let's look at it together again. Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed. Now, let's pause there for just a minute because that's kind of an important phrase. It kind of helps set the stage and help us understand what's going on. Jesus died on Friday. They put him on the cross around 9 a.m. And around 12, everything went dark, and he felt lonely. He felt separated from God. And then around 3, he was done, and he said, it is finished. He commended his spirit to the Father. He died on Friday. Well, they had a very short time to get his body from the cross, to prepare his body, put his body in a tomb. Joseph of Arimathea said, you can borrow my tomb. Well, he probably didn't know it was being borrowed. He probably thought he was giving it up. He said, you can have my tomb. They put Jesus in that borrowed tomb, and but they because it was almost sundown, At sundown, Sabbath would begin, and you don't work on the Sabbath. Sabbath begins at sundown, so they had to do what they could do before the sun went down, and that wasn't much time. They didn't get to properly prepare his body. So they just put him in the tomb. They said, well, we'll come back later after Sabbath, and we will finish preparing his body and doing all the stuff they did. They used perfumes and incense, and they wrapped it up and all the whole thing. So they said, we can't do that because of Sabbath, but we'll come back. And so that's what it means when it says the Sabbath was passed, that waiting time. Now it would be okay to do the work necessary to show him the respect and the honor that he was due. And so now it's time to go back to the tomb and finish preparing his body. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Very early. In other words, they didn't want to wait any longer than they had to. As soon as they could buy what they needed, they bought it. And as soon as they could get there, they got there very early. No hesitation, no waiting, no distractions. They wanted to be there as quickly as they could. And they arrived. It says, there's an interesting, there's an interesting reference here that caught my attention. And it, it said in verse 3, they were saying to one another... Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They didn't have time to work out all the logistics. See, they they bought what they had to buy and they got where they needed to go. And they're on their way to the tomb. And while they're walking to the tomb, they think, Oh, you remember the soldiers put that big stone in front of this thing and they, they even put a Roman seal on it to close it up tight. And who are we going to get to move this thing? These three women that that they're probably not going to be able to handle that great big stone all by themselves. And so there are some logistics that they're still going to have to work out in order to do what they've come to do. Verse 4, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back it was very large. I love how Mark gives us that little editorial comment there at the end. When they got there they looked up and the stone had been rolled away already and then Mark says, and just for you naysayers, you need to know that this was a big stone. It was very large. In other words, there was something that had happened there. The way the stones usually worked and it was pretty ingenious actually, they would they would Kind of build a a ramp. A ramp is too harsh of a word because it was a very slight decline, probably. But they would start the uh, the, the the stone at the top and let it roll down into place there in front of the tomb. Therefore, if you're going to roll that thing back, which you just never did, the idea was once you close up a tomb, it's closed. But for them, for the stone to be rolled back, that means that it was rolled uphill, up that little incline. And when the women got there, there was no way they could have done that. But when they arrived, it had already been done for them. We don't know who did it, but we can, uh, we can imagine that an angel or two came from heaven and they moved that stone. Perhaps God just spoke and it happened. We don't know, but God is the one who moved the stone. It's important, too, that we notice that, that the stone was not moved so that Jesus could get out. The stone was moved so the women could get in. You see that? It says, uh, it says in verse 5, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. This young man sitting there in a white robe clearly represents an angel. They saw an angel of the Lord sitting inside the tomb. What they expected to see was a dead and beginning to decay body. Instead, what they saw was an empty body place where the body would lay and to the right, they saw an angel. So certainly and understandably they were alarmed. And then he says in verse six, he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I'm don't, don't be scared. I know it looks like I'm not supposed to be here, but I am, I'm supposed to be here. I know exactly what's going on. They told me to come and meet you here is basically what he's getting at. They were alarmed because he seemed out of place. And what he's saying is, I'm not out of place. I know you came to see Jesus of Nazareth. I know what's going on. And we've got this under control. Listen, he says, I know that that you came to seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The, The first good news of Easter, he has risen. He's not here. You can see for yourself. You can experience it on a personal level. You can tell by your own experience that he's not here. In verse 7 it says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now they they don't say anything to anyone along the way but when they get to the disciples, you better believe they told the disciples. Did you notice the two words? We went by it pretty quickly. But two words that summarize the joy of Easter. The angel, the messenger of God giving the words of God to the people of God, he says, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Those are two very important words. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was the one who was sitting at the meal with Jesus that Thursday night. They had gathered for the last time that they would be together. And Jesus broke the news in kind of a somber way. He said, one of you is going to betray me. Peter spoke up and said, well, it's not me. I don't know. I've been been wondering about that dude over there, but it's not me. I'll never do that. I'll never forsake you. And Jesus said, really? Jesus said, before the rooster crows before the alarm clock goes off in the morning, you'll deny me three times. Peter goes with the disciples and Jesus out to the garden. The guards come and they take Jesus away. Peter is in shock. There's a, there's a time of violence. There's a time of, of fear and and. and, and confusion. Peter then watches as they take Jesus toward, toward the place where they're going to question him. Peter follows afar off, the Bible says. And he waits in the courtyard. And while he's waiting in the courtyard, somebody comes up to Peter and says, hey, don't I know you aren't, aren't you one of Jesus's guys? Peter says, no, no, you got the wrong guy. Somebody else comes up and he says, dude, you talk like a Galilean. You have that funny Galilean accent. I'll bet you're one of Jesus' dudes. He says, no, I'm I'm not. Somebody else comes up and says, I've seen you with that Jesus guy. You're one of his. And Peter gets so frustrated. he He blows his cool. He says, I do not know the man. And almost as soon as he says those words, the rooster crows, the alarm clock goes off, it catches his attention, and he looks up and there goes Jesus being led through the courtyard, and Jesus looks at him. You can find that in the Gospel of Luke. Imagine the look. Peter, who just said, I'll never forsake you, only hours ago. And now there's Jesus. Jesus looking at him, not with just I told you so in his eyes, but pain, sorrow. How, Peter, how could you do this? They take Jesus to the cross. Some of the disciples hang out for a little bit, but before long they all run. Peter goes back to the upper room and he hangs out. He hides He's scared. He's afraid. All hope is lost. But then the angel tells Mary and Mary and Salome, go and tell the disciples and Peter. In those two words, the story of redemption is told. And Peter tells us about redemption. Redemption, is, redemption is, is, think of it as a new start, but it's more than a new start. It is literally buying someone out of slavery in order to set them free. So when we say Jesus redeems us, what we mean is he paid the penalty for my sin. He paid the ransom for my sin, for my soul. And he set me free from sin and he delivered me into a full life. Jesus said through the messenger, go tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter because he needs to know that he's got a new start. It's a story of Redemption. In Colossians chapter 1 at verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. See that delivered idea? That's, that's redemption. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Somebody this morning could really use a start over. Somebody could use a second start. Somebody looks at their life this morning and all you can see is the failure and the mistakes and the pain that you felt and the pain that you caused. Somebody needs a fresh start. And the good news of Easter is... Jesus says, go tell the disciples and the one who needs a new start. He is the Redeemer. Easter is about redemption. Easter is also about grace. In those two words, and Peter, we see God's grace. Why would he go to the trouble to redeem us? How does he do that? Because of his grace. He does it because he extends to us that which we don't deserve. Mercy. Mercy is not getting what you really deserve. You deserve a death penalty. You deserve punishment. Mercy is not getting what you really deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We don't deserve to be made right with God with an everlasting hope. And yet that's what he gives us. Go tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter a beautiful act of grace. When Peter was up at the plate, he struck out. Aren't you him? I'm not him. Don't you know him? I don't know him. Yeah, you talk like him. I am not one of his. I don't know the man. He got three pitches right over the plate and all three times he swung and missed. The message from Jesus is you struck out, but I'm not going to bench you. You're still on the team and I'm going to meet you soon to help you get back in the game. Grace. And Peter. The story of redemption, the story of grace, the story of love. It's a story of redemption in that he gives us a second start. Why? Because of grace. How? Because he loves us. He loves us enough to extend that grace to us. The reason the messenger said, go and tell the disciples and Peter was because God's love for Peter had not diminished one iota. Regardless of his failures, his mistakes, his sin, God's love could not be separated from him. Paul found that love in Ephesians chapter 2 at 4. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Listen, because he loves us, he made us alive together in Christ. You couldn't be alive in Christ unless Christ was alive. Easter is a story of redemption and grace and great, great love. It's also a story of purpose. The messenger says, go tell the disciples and Peter, because we got more work to do. He goes on to say that Jesus is going to meet them in Galilee, like he said earlier. Why is he going to meet them in Galilee? To give them their marching orders. Jesus says, I'm on my way out. You guys have to take over. Here's what you're going to do. He's going to meet them in Galilee to give them their marching orders. And he says, make sure Peter's there. Why? Because Peter still has a purpose. You had a chance in life. You had a good chance. You had opportunity. And you blew it. You had everything in front of you. And you made a mistake, you made a bad choice, you went the wrong direction. So, what's left for you? Because He is the Redeemer who acts in grace, because He loves you, you still have a purpose. You are alive because you still have a purpose. You have a reason for being. God has a plan for who you are or you wouldn't be here. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. If if you're following along in the scriptures, look with me in John chapter 21. Jesus said, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And certainly enough, when they got to, to the meeting place in Galilee, Peter got there and he said, well, I don't know what you guys are going to do, but I'm going to go fishing. I think it's his way of saying, I'm returning to my old life. This this Jesus thing didn't work out for me because I I screwed it up and now it's too late. I'm just going to go fishing. The disciples join Peter and they go fishing and Jesus shows up and he says, hey guys, um, you're fishing on the wrong side. You know, if you do this, then you can get a bunch of fish and they get a bunch of fish. They said, cool. He said, now that you got all those fish, why don't somebody cook that up? Let's have some breakfast. They have breakfast together. And then in John chapter 21 at 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And before we go on, did you hear what he called him? Simon, son of John. Last week, we talked real quickly about Simon, son of John. Son of John would be Johnson. His name was Simon Johnson. We talked about him real quick last week and how Jesus said, now your name is not Simon anymore. Now your name is Peter. Peter was the one who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, the very first human being to ever get to say, you're the Messiah, we've been looking for, you're him. And as soon as he said that, Jesus said, you're right, God revealed that to you. And I'm going to build my church on that fact, and from now on, your name, your nickname is Peter. But now, now they're having breakfast. Peter went back to fishing, and Jesus calls him his old name. Peter wasn't acting like a disciple, wasn't living like a disciple. He was just Simon Johnson, plain old fisherman. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Called him that name every time, and yet every time he said, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. Three times. I don't know him. I'm not one of his. I don't know the man. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. You see that act of grace, love, restoration, redemption, canceling out the rebellion, doing away with the sin. And then Jesus in a very cryptic way, says to Peter, you're going to have to die probably on a cross just like me. That's what the next couple of verses mean. But then if you jump down to verse 19, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That's how they got started. Jesus first called him, said, follow me. And Peter became a disciple. Yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus, I'm with you, man. And then he forsake him. Jesus comes back and cancels out the sin. And they start all over again with follow me. Simon, son of John, is once again a disciple Go tell the disciples and Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it speaks of our purpose. Jesus had a purpose for Peter. That's why he brought him through that. That's why he forgave his sin. That's why he said, now follow me. We've got work to do. He had a purpose. And then later, Peter tells us, the church, that we all have purpose. Look, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a purpose, church, believer. You have a reason for being. And that is to point people in his direction to, what does it say, proclaim the excellencies of him, who called you out of darkness into his light. We have a purpose because Jesus is alive. And Peter tells a story of redemption, of grace, of love, of purpose, and it tells a great story of hope. In the song that Jarrah sang just a little while ago, you could hear that hopelessness in Peter's experience. There's one line in there where he even says even if he was alive it wouldn't be the same. Hopelessness. And Jesus, through his messenger, is going to restore that hope. He's going to say, listen, there's reason to rejoice. There's hope today. Go tell the disciples and tell Peter. He singled him out to make sure he knew that hope is not lost. The master of second chances is alive and well. And so you, like Peter, can have that second chance. There is still hope. Look how far Peter came. Peter was the loudmouth. At one time, he told Jesus, You don't have to die on a cross. Jesus said, You better get behind me, Satan. Another time, Peter said, I don't even know the man. Right after he had made a big show of saying, I'll never forsake you, and look how far he came. Peter was the one that God chose to preach the very first and in many ways the very best sermon that has ever been preached within the Christian church. Now, Jesus was a greater preacher, but the church hadn't been established yet. Peter preached the first and in many ways the greatest sermon ever preached within the church. And he went on to tell people all over the place about Jesus. He even wound up writing a couple of books that we have now in our Holy Bible. And it is in one of those books that that very same guy that heard the rooster crow and saw the look in Jesus' eye. Look how far he's come. That very same guy is able to say in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have a great hope. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Beloved, it's amazing to think that Easter tells the story of redemption. You can have a second chance. And that is possible because of God's grace. And the reason that he gives us grace is because he loves us. And because he loves us, he also gives us a purpose and he brings to us a living hope. Thank God Almighty that Jesus Christ is alive to bring it to us this day.